Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. The Senate hearings, Donald Trump's nomination of Amy Coney Barrett to be the ninth justice of the Supreme Court, replacing Ruth Bader Ginsburg. In about 40 minutes, 45 minutes from now, we will be back to the hearings you know, with an occasional commentary or interruption, but I thought one of the most one of the most interesting things from this morning's questioning of Judge Barrett, and more than interested in hearing your thoughts on this as well. We can just open this up and have a conversation about it. Particularly if you caught something I missed. I mean, I was doing show prep this morning. The three hours before I go on the air are pretty busy. You know, it's entirely possible that I missed something altogether, something that happened and So, you know, if you think there was anything that you spotted, feel free to give us a shout. And uh, Joe Biden has now come out and said, I'm not a big fan of court packing, was his phrase. But he refused to rule it out. But he said, I'd really rather talk about real issues. This is not a real issue right now. The Republican Party is trying to make it a real issue. I mean, this is kind of the new but her emails kind of story. But there's that. But the, the one thing that really struck me was, and I believe it was under questioning from Dianne Feinstein, Judge Barrett was asked about the status of laws that protect LGBTQ people, gay rights laws, gay marriage laws, things like that. She said, words to the effect, I don't have the exact quote right in front of me here. You know, I'm guessing we'll be getting transcripts in the next probably half hour or so in in the main uh, media. But what I heard her say, or what I thought I heard her say, was that she would not discriminate against a person based on their sexual preference. That rather caught my attention because sexual preference is a phrase that people who argue that gay people can be converted use. Right? This is Michelle Bachman's husband's business, you'll recall, was using Christianity and religion and some weird voodoo psychotherapy to help gay people, specifically gay men. I mean, this was his business. And uh, you can draw your own inferences from who he was and what he was all about, but converting gay men back to being straight. Because, after all, it's a preference. A preference implies shouts, choice, right? A person chooses to be gay or not to be gay. And you know, all the science basically denies that, that by the time kids are five, six, seven, eight years old, somewhere in that window, they have largely figured out, you know, who they are and where they fit and all this. So, you know, that's not a, an always, obviously human beings, there's a huge variety of us, but this whole preference thing, rather than gender identity, which is you know, arguably still a soft way of saying that a person has chosen this identity. But, but you know, I, I, it, it sets, it doesn't, it's not a dog whistle for are you choosing to be gay or not. So I'm hopeful somebody will drill down on that and just ask her, do you think that people choose to be gay? Do you think that people who have chosen to be gay in your mind can choose to become straight? 
I mean, we've seen a lot. You know, I've 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 known people growing up back when when homosexuality was criminal in the United States. When I was a kid, when I was in high school, when I was a young man, well, through through probably half my life, gay behavior, homosexual behavior in this country, in many states, in fact, probably in most states, was criminalized. And you know, that's one of the concerns: is not just that she's going to knock down gay marriage, but that she's going to allow the states to recriminalize consenting behavior between, you know, behavior between consenting adults. The other thing was abortion. Abortion obviously is a big issue today. And, and uh, Senator Gary Peters came out yesterday, and I, this is just amazing. Senator Peters, by the way, Gary Peters is a really good guy. He's a senator from Michigan. He's uh, in Michigan. He's, he's most famous for uh, riding a motorcycle and drinking beer. He's a Democrat. He's a progressive Democrat. In fact, he's one of the more progressive Democrats in the United States Senate. Gary Peters is a good guy. And yesterday, he revealed the story of back in the late 1980s in Detroit, he and his then-wife Heidi were pregnant with their second child. And in the fourth month of the pregnancy, and this, this is, you know, one of the, one of the, uh, uh, one of the touchstone issues, I think. In the fourth month of their pregnancy, uh, she lost her amniotic fluid. Her water broke. Now, that's not supposed to happen until, you know, hours or days before birth. Typically, that presages birth. Because, and the reason why is because the amniotic fluid, this, this water that fills the, the, the womb and surrounds the baby, protects that baby, keeps that baby, you know, safe and alive. And if that amniotic fluid goes away, particularly in the fourth month, the baby's going to die. And typically what you would do is induce an abortion at that point, because this baby is dead or is going to be dead very soon. And it's not, and and every minute represents a danger, a threat to the mother, to the, literally to the life of the mother. And uh, Laura Bassett wrote a summary about this over on uh, Ellie.com. Uh, she said, Heidi was four months along with her when her water broke. The doctor told Peters to uh, go home and wait for a miscarriage to happen naturally, but it didn't happen naturally. They went back to the hospital the next day. The doctor detected a faint heartbeat. He recommended an abortion because the fetus still had no chance of survival. But the abortion was not an option due to a hospital policy banning the procedure. I wonder if this was the same hospital where, where uh, Louise gave birth to our oldest child, which was St. Mary's in Livonia, Catholic hospital. It, you know, they will not do abortions. So the couple went home again to wait for a miscarriage. Peter said the mental anguish one goes through is intense. They waited for several days until Heidi's health, his wife's health, was beginning to deteriorate. She was within a couple of days of dying because she now had a dead fetus inside her. The doctor said your situation is dire. You could lose your entire uterus in a matter of hours and possibly lose your life. The doctor went to the hospital board and said, may I please do this abortion? The hospital board said no. And, you know, thankfully, uh, Senator Peters had a friend who was on the board of another hospital and got them in quickly and saved his wife's life. But this is the kind of thing we're talking about here. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Also, we learned that now the FBI says this was a June meeting in Ohio, another right-wing fascist racist gang, and they were planning on kidnapping Ralph Northam, the governor of Virginia. It just just doesn't stop. Nicholas from Mexico. Hey, Nicholas, what's on your mind? Wow, that was quick. Hi. I'm actually calling you from Lexington, Kentucky, for a few more days, believe it or not. I've survived almost a month here. Oh, my God. What a part of the country this is. And McConnell running roughshod over the election here. Um, what I wanted to talk yeah, to you about and was laughing just briefly. About it. Not, oh, it's surreal. It, it's it's evil. Yeah. It's, it's evil afoot here, I swear. Yeah. A term I throw but you got 40 seconds here, Nicholas, so what's Yeah, what's yeah, yeah, uh, about the uh, gay issues in Barrett. And she was asked, uh, she sidestepped the whole issue, I think, in my 
uh, opinion uh, when she was asked. Uh, she said she would not discriminate against people due to their sexual preference, as you noted. What she did not say right. is that she would extend the right of marriage. Those are two very different things, and she she sidestepped that entirely. You're absolutely right. And I think this You're is a dangerous right. woman. She's much smarter than I thought she was, and she side sidestepped that so slyly that I just cringed when I heard that answer. And uh, Feinstein should have followed that up with, "Would you extend the right to marriage?" And Feinstein dropped the ball, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm with you. There will be other opportunities, and we'll see how it plays out. Nicholas, thank you for the call. I'm waiting for somebody to say, you know, the Trump administration is federalizing local police departments. Is that constitutional? I mean, let's let's identify some of the things that the Trump administration is doing that many of us think are unconstitutional. Ask her about that. I'm guessing we'll get the same. No, I'm not going to answer that question. Answers, but we'll see. Tom Hartman program. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Just head over to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Anthony in St. Augustine, Florida. Hey, Anthony, what's in your mind? The discrimination, particularly against African-Americans, was not only immoral, but actually a violation of the 14th and 15th Amendments to the Constitution. Oh, certainly. Certainly. And has been forever. I mean, this, this, is, this is why the Supreme Court saw fit in 1954 to overturn their own 18... 18- 96 decision, the, the, uh, the Plessy versus Ferguson separate but equal decision of 1896 was overturned with Brown v. Board, as, as uh, Judge Barrett pointed out this morning in her questioning. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm completely with you. And the 14th mm-hmm. Amendment guarantees equal, equal protection under the law, and, and the law regulates commerce. Right? It's right there in the Constitution. And and if discrimination is happening in commerce, I mean, this was this was the it was the Commerce Clause, actually, that Lyndon Johnson used, you know, to go after people in the South after after 1964, um, because, you know, he was saying, well, you've got ketchup in your in your uh, diner that was made in Pennsylvania by Heinz and you're selling it. So you're engaged in interstate commerce so we can regulate you Um, back to you, Anthony. I'm sorry. Yeah, you're absolutely right, because the only amendment that was really repealed was prohibition. So we have heard repeatedly this morning, nobody's come out and said it in exactly these words. But essentially, and Anthony, thank you for the call. Essentially what the Republicans have been saying, and they've been saying this for a long, long time. And Scalia and Thomas and Alito are solidly in this camp, is that because the Constitution does not say women have a right to an abortion. Therefore, women don't have a right to an abortion. 
because the Constitution does not say everybody has a right to vote, therefore everybody doesn't have the right to vote. And what they're doing when they say that is they're completely flipping the Constitution upside down. I refer you to the Ninth Amendment. The Ninth Amendment says the enumeration of the Constitution of certain rights, right, enumeration, listing, right, the, the list, numerical listing, one, two, three, four, five, the enumeration of the Constitution, in other words, the Constitution has said, you know, there are some things that, you know, government can do, there's some things government can't do, blah, blah, blah. This is the Ninth Amendment, the enumeration of the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others, other rights, retained by the people. Now, the Tenth Amendment goes on to say the same thing about the states. Basically, if the, if the federal government didn't grab this power, that power belongs to the state. But the Ninth Amendment that precedes it, that is more important than it in the minds of the people who wrote the Constitution, says if, if just because we did not grant a right to people in the Constitution does not mean they don't have that right. Joanne in Van Nuys, California. Hey, Joanne. Thanks for listening to KPFK. What's on your mind? I've been sitting here reviewing my law books in reference to the 14th Amendment, and that is absolutely crucial. If there's any attack upon that, that takes away equal opportunity under the law, takes away due process, takes away representation, the number of people you can have representing you, but it takes away, uh, and it attacks Roe. It's a it's a sly way of getting at the right to privacy, because that was the basis of Roe. In addition, it attacks citizenship and it attacks public schools, and it denies the person the equal right to be innocent until proven otherwise. I mean, this is a very serious, and what she says, we can judge her by. What she writes is her history. And I think, I I don't know whether your book on the Supreme Court, I just ordered it from Powell's in Oregon, um, uh, uh, about the U.S. Supreme Court, the history. Do you have an argument there, or do you go into, like, the 14th Amendment? Because this is a crucial, this has shaped our civil liberty. Joanna, uh, with apologies, I, you're going to find a lot of fascinating stuff in the book, including how Lincoln packed the court in 1863 and took it all the way up to 10 people just because he could, because he wanted to get a solid anti-slavery vote. And then, and then when Andrew Jackson, after he uh, Johnson, excuse me, after he was assassinated, uh, Johnson became president, and they cut it down to six, and then they took it back up to nine, and blah, 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 blah. You know, it's, all that's in there. But the stuff about Amy Coney Barrett and the 14th Amendment deniers is not in that book. And the reason why is because I was frankly unaware of it. it. This is such an obscure, fringe chunk of the leftover uh, lost, uh, is lost crusade. What's what's the phrase that they use? Lost cause uh, down in the south. Uh, it's, it's such a fringe part of the lost cause uh, legal argument that because the Confederate states were blocked from having legislators and 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 could not participate in. Rat- find a constitutional amendment during the time that the 13th, 14th, and 15th amendments were passed, they are illegitimate, that uh, frankly, I was unaware of it. And I was unaware of it it, literally right up until a few weeks ago when it was reported that on two different occasions, Amy Coney Barrett had used the word illegitimate uh, to describe the, the 14th amendment. Now, in both cases, she said, once she said possibly illegitimate, and then the other one theoretically, or you know, another qualifier. But this is the this is the old lost cause thing, and you're right. The Fourteenth Amendment establishes birthright citizenship, and there's a lot of conservatives who would love to blow that up. The Fourteenth Amendment says that that you know formerly enslaved people, and that has been now interpreted to mean all people in America have access to equal protection under the law that is equal to that of white men at that time. And, uh, you know, and, and it has become the foundation of all kinds of, of legal precedent and laws mm-hmm. and policies and Supreme Court decisions since then. So, mm-hmm. you know, nobody has mentioned this yet. I'm, I keep waiting for one of the Democrats to bring it up. I think it'll be fascinating. I'm guessing that it'll be in the questioning where she'll be asked about it. Would you please give us your um, thoughts on the 14th Amendment? But, um, you know, we'll see. Renee in St. Louis. Hey, Renee, thanks for watching us on YouTube. What's on your mind? Okay, now, Amy Cohen Barrett, let me first say that I am a female. I'm black. I'm Catholic. The Catholic Church is the most racist organization on the planet. 
They, it is full of cults. We've got cults all over the place. This lady's not good for humanity. Okay, just not good for humanity. And the Republicans, they seem to never tire of wanting to take everything from people. It is so sad. So I'm really, really hoping that enough people will absolutely get out and vote. Okay, they know that they have to get Trump out. It's been proven that he's a sociopath. And what happened to those 27 uh, psychiatrists? They're still around. <laughs> you're, you're talking about the ones who signed the paper saying that Trump was unfit for office? Correct. Okay, so now we've got yeah. enough documentation here that shows that this man should have got the 25th Amendment a long time ago. Oh, yeah. long time ago. Okay? Yep. And Mike right Pence, now. okay, Mike Pence is what Brutus was to Caesar or whoever it was that actually killed Caliglia. Little boobs. That's what we should start calling mm -hmm. Trump. Little boobs. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I don't know. You know, uh, uh, Brutus, uh, you know, put a shiv in C Caesar's gut on uh, March 15th uh, back in the day. I forget the year now, but I remember the Ides okay. of March. Uh, I haven't and, seen Pence do that yet. I, I, that. I see I see Pence con constantly, you know, bowing down and licking Trump's shoes. Aha. Uh -huh. What am I missing? So I missed the fly. The fly. I was so focused yeah. on Kamala that I I had to go back and watch the tapes on the, the fly. Tr Pence is not good. He's just not. Okay, you yeah. cannot trust him. You cannot trust him. Mm -hmm. I don't care how nice he is. Yeah. And watch his eyes. Now, these are just basic yeah, things. Yeah, and his. Okay. Yeah, and his eyes were, were pretty bloodshot, which makes me okay. think that maybe he's got a mild case of COVID going on. And he's refusing to release any test results, too. So, Okay. None of these people in the, in, in the Trump administration should be there. They should not be there. Yeah. Everyone needs to go ahead yeah. and get rid of them. If they have to serve time, let them serve time. Now, I want to know why we still have to pay Trump after he gets out of office, because remember, We've got to keep him with Secret Service agents. We've got to we have to pay for it. He still gets a paycheck from us. That's right. He gets a pension. Yep. Um, okay, you know, he gets that because he's he's a former president. If he were impeached, he would sacrifice that, or at least a lot of that. Um, but he mm -hmm. wasn't successfully impeached because all of these Republicans who are in this hearing, every single one of them, voted to keep Donald Trump in office. This is who they are. And and uh, I, I'm just astonished that any of the Republicans who are up for reelection this cycle actually have a chance of getting reelected. I'm, I'm astonished now, that any Republican in this country, given, you know, what I they've been be doing, what they've been Roy saying. Blunt. I have to be stuck with yeah. Roy Blunt until 2022. Oh, Renee, you have, have my sympathy. <laughs> James in Cuba City, Wisconsin. Hey, James, what's up? Hey, uh, thanks for taking my call. Yeah, uh, first-time caller, long-time listener. And uh, I was just wondering, this is kind of a crazy idea, but why don't the House sit down, get together, and reduce the number of seats on the Supreme Court to eight until after the election? It would have to be passed by both the House and the Senate, and then it would have to be signed by the president. It's just not going to oh, happen. That I, you know, this is, this yeah. is what... This is what Congress did when Lincoln was assassinated. You're right, James. It's been done before. It's also what John Adams did after he lost the election to Thomas Jefferson. He and the Federalists reduced the number of people on the Supreme Court, and then Jefferson expanded it once he got in. Um, but uh, I, the, the fact of the matter is that when Adams did that and when Lincoln did that, their parties controlled all three of those, uh, you know, both the House and the Senate plus the White House. Um, so all three parts of those two branches. So it's just not possible. I, you know, I get what you're saying. Uh, I totally sympathize with it, but uh, ain't going to happen. Uh, let's try Carl again in Ocala. Hey, Carl, what's up? Regarding this hearing I've been listening to, kind of amazing, unless I missed something, the only people talking about Catholicism and faith and, and so on and how it might affect your decisions are the Republicans trying to make an issue, I assume. Yes, it was not mentioned once by Democrats. 
Yeah, that the Democrats are going to make a big deal out of it, and because she's Catholic, she's going to be swayed to do this and that. She probably will. I think we pretty much know her history. But my big question was this. If Trump started this whole uh, comment about packing the court, that term is very negative, and Biden has repeatedly, over and over and over, refused to discuss even though he did it one time in the in the past, mentioned his position, he refuted it. Why don't we re instead of living with what Trump talks about? Why don't we rename it balancing the court and having four more senators put on by a legislative commission, bipartisan, made up of minority and majority leaders in both houses of the uh, of the Congress? And and that's yeah. I wrote it out then this morning saying just that, Carl. Yeah, you can find it over at buzzflash.com, and then it got reprinted over on commondreams.org, basically saying, you know, it's time to rebalance the court. M- Mitch McConnell has yeah. been packing the court for six years. He's been well, packing been not packing just the Supreme the court. court with, the, with by denying Merrick Garland a seat, but he's also been packing federal courts by denying President yeah. Obama over 100 seats in the last two years of his presidency. This has never been done before, to the best of my knowledge. This is Mitch McConnell, uh, you know, breaking all all the traditions uh, that that we hold dear as as a small D democracy and a small R republic. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm totally with you, Carl. We need to call it rebalancing. Michael in Bronx, New York. Hey, Michael, what's up? Hi, Tom. How you doing? First off, um, the one of the earlier. Catholic callers, just to um, reiterate that I'm Catholic, I'm a black man, and yes, the Catholic Church is divided on these particular issues, but if anyone really reads the Gospels, not once did Jesus ever mention anything about abortion. This whole thing with Roe v. Wade is not about abortion, it's about a woman's right to choose what happens with her body, which includes... It's about power. Yeah, but the thing is, is that the Roe v. Wade thing, if a woman refuses to be touched by anybody and says no, then it's no. That's what part of Roe v. Wade is. And I don't like the idea of these Republicans um, trying to make that um, a really big issue. I know it hasn't been brought up much in these opening statements, but the ACA certainly has brought up been brought up a lot. And then if you're going to be calling yourself pro-life and you're going to overturn the ACA, that's a contradiction in itself. But let's not make any mistake also of what was brought up that the Democrats did so well, and that is why the rush of trying to get Barrett onto the Supreme Court? Because, you know, Trump himself had said that he's going to take the election to the Supreme Court if it doesn't rule in his favor, if it doesn't go his way. So we can go out and vote, and Biden wins by a super landslide. He will not accept it. He doesn't care about the people's vote. He doesn't care about the law or the Constitution. And this is going right into fascism and authoritarianism. we got to be Yeah, really, I'm with you, Michael. Really he, is hoping, he is hoping for a Bush v. Gore uh, replay, basically, that will keep him in the White House. Um, I don't think it's going to happen, but, uh, you know, there's no telling. I mean, we live in a wild times right now. Michael, thank you for the call. We live in absolutely strange times. Oh, by the way, I just I wanted to give you a heads up on something that's going to be happening on uh, on this week. It's on the 15th. David Corton, the guy who wrote When Corporations Rule the World, New York Times bestseller, uh, former professor, of uh, economics at Harvard, et cetera, et cetera. He and I, he, he's going to be kind of moderating a conversation with me about how monopolies threaten our political systems, our ecosystems, our economy, and the damage that they have done both to industries and individuals. Uh, all this based on my new book, The Hidden History of Monopolies, How Big Business Destroyed the American Dream. It's going to be at 3.30 Eastern Time, 12.30 Pacific Time on October 15th, and uh, you can get all the information on our Facebook page or over at TomHartman.com. So check that out. It should be absolutely fascinating. Dave in Federal Way, Washington. Hey, Dave, what's up? Hey, not too much, Tom. I wanted to talk about something a little abstract. 
abstract. Um, look, as far as Amy Coney Barrett's religion, all right, it, it, no one's going to criticize that. But I will criticize any any um, solicitor or any anybody that comes out of the Federalist Society because I believe the common denominator is they defer to executive power. And I, I heard another caller mention mention Elena Kagan. She's has a, she's had a pattern of deferring to executive power, and why I think that's important. Well, first off, the religious connection. All right, in the Old Testament, there was only three branches of government. There was the king, the Torah, or the, the word, and the priesthood. That's it. All right, and that makes that natural deference to executive power, I believe. And our adversaries are keenly aware of this, and I just want to give two recent examples. Number one was Kim Jong-un just did, uh, you know, the founding of, of, of uh, you know, uh, the DPRK. He just had a parade where he had a new ICBM, the Hwasong 15, perhaps, on display. Now, just prior to that, he said that they had that North Korea has met their war uh, deterrent goals. Now, when North Korea talks about war deterrent goals, they're talking about deterrence against the United States. Another thing was Dmitry Kiselyov, a spokesman for um, the Russian uh, state media. He said in perfect English, he said it doesn't matter who the American president is, our grievance is with America. And um, he said, unless America declares war, that's the only, the only additional thing they could do. He said, America won't do that because we know that Russia is the only country that can realistically turn America into radioactive ash. What he's saying there and what all these dictators are doing, emulating one another, is what they're saying. Kiselyov was saying Russia has overmatch right now, right? So while they have overmatch, they're going to send weapons and technology out to their surrogates that give parity with America. Okay, now that's when we will go to war. Joe Biden, if he wins, I almost feel sad for him. But at the same time, I think if Donald Trump wins, our chances of survival are diminishing daily. I mean, it's it's, of course. Let's be very clear, Dave. Everything that you just described um, with regard to Russian behavior and other other autocratic regimes around the world. Um, has really one goal, and that's to make the world safe for kleptocrats, billionaires, oligarchs, and and dictators. Um, you know whether they whether they're like you know Xi in China calling themselves uh, you know something other than dictators, or whether they just you know own up to it. Paul in Woodenville, Washington. Hey, Paul, what's on your mind? Catholics on the court. I have a brand new discovery about Roe versus Wade, and that the Catholic position or the right to life position is fundamentally constitutionally conflicted. And here's how I discovered this. Uh, the discussion of whether or not uh, Amy Coney Barrett's Catholicism should be a question, well, I cross-reference other Catholics on the court in cases, and particularly in Roe, and this is what I came up with. Um, there was one Catholic on the court at the time that Roe versus Wade was decided. His name was Byron White, and he was appointed to the court by John F. Kennedy. Now, John F. Kennedy may not have said, or may have said that he was not beholden to the Pope, but he appointed a staunch, devout Catholic to the court. And Byron White was one of the two dissenters in the 72 decision. The other was William Rehnquist. And Byron White, I don't know if he expressly invoked his Catholicism, but he was against abortion on religious grounds. And so I have to compare that to another case from 1927, which was known as Buck versus Bell, in which uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr. wrote maybe perhaps his lesser eloquent words in his decision that said, three generations of imbeciles is enough. In the case, uh, this case, the state of Virginia wanted and did sterilize Carrie Buck because they thought that she was in those days, they called her an imbecile. She was developmentally disabled, and so was her mother. And it was presumed to be, and this was in the eugenics days, by the way, it was presumed to be a genetic right. condition. It was later found that she was not developmentally disabled, and the state of Virginia did sterilize her. Um, but the court ruled an eight-to-one decision that uh, the, st- the state of Virginia had a compelling interest in not allowing people who were developmentally interested in, uh, disabled to reproduce. And the, the eight to one, the dissent was, 
one conservative, Pierce Butler, who expressly invoked his Catholicism and said that, no, he could not do this. So what the question is, does the state have a compelling interest in your medical privacy? So whereas if you hold both Catholics to have their right to life, they stand on different sides of the state's rights. So by, uh, Pierce Butler, uh, his, his dissent would say, no, the state of Virginia does not have a compelling interest in sterilizing Perry Buck. But Byron White said the, st- the, st- the state has a compe- does have a compelling interest in your privacy when it comes to a woman having an abortion. Well, this, it's the same power. The state has the same, either has the power or it doesn't. So the state, it's the same power that would give the state the power to force you to be sterilized as to prevent you from having an abortion. It's the same damn power. It cuts both ways. It's just like the power that Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan has to force people to wear masks and stay at home is the same power that Brian Kemp has in Georgia to tell the, the city of Atlanta that they may not have a mandatory mask rule. The, the power cuts both ways. So the 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 Catholic position, the right to life position, may be the church's position, but it is constitutionally conflicted, and that's why in the Roe versus Wade hearings, Potter Stewart asked the Wade team, "What kind of question is the abortion question? Is it philosophical? Is it constitutional? Is it religious? Is it ethical? Is it moral? What kind of question is it?" And the Wade team responded, it's all of the above, and that's where they lost the case, because the court can only rule in constitutional terms. Right. Or based on the law. I mean, you know, they're, they're the final court of appeals. But yes, point made, Paul. Thank you. And this is an awesome power. The court took on this power to itself in 1803, and it has wielded it vigorously and enthusiastically since the, since the second half of the 20th century in, in large part. I mean, they, they did it before that. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. They're back to the hearings and Sheldon Whitehouse is speaking right now. So let's pick up the hearings. Senator Cruz said, you don't do this in an election year. That's long gone. And our chairman made his famous hold the tape promise. If an opening comes in the last year of President Trump's term, we'll wait till the next election. That's gone, too. Sheldon Whitehouse is pointing out the hypocrisy, the various bizarre stories that we've been told. Um, He says this is a political parlor game. There are actually high stakes here. And he's going to tell three of them. Obergefell and the Obamacare cases. Here's the GOP platform, the Republican platform, the platform of my colleagues on the other side of this aisle say that a Republican president will appoint judges who will reverse Roe, Obergefell, and the Obamacare cases. So if you have a family member with an interest in some autonomy over their body under Roe versus Wade, the ability to have a marriage, have friends marry, have a niece or a daughter or a son marry, someone of their same sex, they have a, you've got a stake. And if you're one of the millions and millions of Americans who depend on the Affordable Care Act, you've got a stake. It's not just the platform over and over again. Let's start by talking about the Affordable Care Act. Here's the president <clears throat> talking about this litigation that we're gearing up this nominee for for November 10th. In this litigation, he said, we want to terminate health care under Obamacare. That is the president's statement. So when we react to that, don't act as if we're making this stuff up. This is what President Trump said. This is what your party platform says. Reverse the Obamacare cases. Senator after senator, including many in this committee, filed briefs saying that the Affordable Care Act should be thrown out by courts. 
Why is it surprising for us to be concerned that you want this nominee to do what you want nominees to do? One quick stop on NFIB v. Sebelius, because a lot of this has to do with money. This is an interesting comparison. National Federation of Independent Businesses, until it filed the NFIB versus Sebelius case, had its biggest donation ever of $21,000. In the year that it went to work on the Affordable Care Act, 10 wealthy donors gave $10 million. Somebody deserves a thank you. So let's go on to Roe v. Wade. <clears throat> Same thing. Same thing. The president has said that reversing Roe v. Wade will happen automatically because he's putting pro-life justices on the court. Why would we not take him at his word? The Republican Party platform says it will reverse Roe. Why would we not comment on that and take you at your word? Senators here, including Senator Hawley, have said, I will vote only for nominees who acknowledge that Roe v. Wade is wrongly decided. And they're pledged to vote for this nominee. Do the math. That's a really simple equation to run. The Republican brief in June Medical said Roe should be overruled. So don't act surprised when we ask questions about whether that's what you're up to here. And finally, out in the ad world that you have spared yourself wisely, Judge Barrett, uh, the Susan B. Anthony Foundation is running advertisements right now saying that you are set. You are set to give our pro-life country <clears throat> the court that it deserves. There's the ad with the voiceover. She's set. She's set. And then... Roe, Obamacare cases, and Obergefell, gay marriage. National Organization for Marriage, the big group that opposes same-sex marriage, says in this proceeding, all our issues are at stake. Republican platform says it wants to reverse Obergefell. And the Republican brief filed in the case said, same-sex relationships don't fall within any constitutional protection. So when we say the stakes are high on this, it's because you've said the stakes are high on this. You have said that's what you want to do. So how are people going about doing it? What is the scheme here? Let me start with this one. In all cases, there's big anonymous money behind various lanes of activity. One lane of activity is through the conduit of the Federalist Society. It's managed by a guy, was managed by a guy named Leonard Leo, and it's taken over the selection of judicial nominees. How do we know that to be the case? Because Trump has said so over and over again. His White House counsel said so. So we have an anonymously funded group controlling judicial selection run by this guy, Leonard Leo. Then in another lane, we have, again, anonymous funders running through something called the Judicial Crisis Network, which is run by Carrie Severino, and it's doing PR and campaign ads <clears throat> for Republican judicial nominees. It got 17 million, single $17 million donation in the Garland-Gorsuch contest. It got another single $17 million donation to support Kavanaugh. Somebody, perhaps the same person, spent $35 million to influence the makeup of the United States Supreme Court. Tell me that's good. And then over here, you have a whole array of legal groups, also funded by dark money, which have a different role. They bring cases to the court. They don't wind their way to the court, Your Honor. They get shoved to the court. Children White the House is absolutely many brilliant. Rather than questioning Barrett and giving so her a chance, to, he's just laying out his case. Now, I've had a chance to have a look at this. And I was in a case, actually, as an amicus myself, the Consumer Financial Protection Board case. And in that case, there were one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven 10, 11 amicus briefs filed 
And every single one of them was a group funded by something called Donors Trust. Donors Trust is a gigantic identity scrubbing device for the right wing so that it says Donors Trust is the donor without whoever the real donor is. It doesn't have a business. It doesn't have a business plan. It doesn't do anything. It's just an identity scrubber. And this group here, the Bradley Foundation, funded eight out of the 11 briefs. That seems weird to me when you have amicus briefs coming in little flotillas that are funded by the same groups but nominally separate in the court. So I actually attached this to my brief as an appendix. Center for, Meg Center for Media and Democracy saw it and they did better work. They went on to say which foundations funded the brief writers in that CFPB case. Here's the Bradley Foundation for 5.6 million to those groups. Here's Donors Trust, 23 million to those brief writing groups. The grand total across all the donor groups was $68 million to the groups that were filing amicus briefs, pretending that they were different groups. And it's not just in the Consumer Financial Protection Board case. You might say, well, that was just a one-off. Here's Janus, the anti-labor case. It had a long trail through the court, through Friedrichs and through Knox and through other decisions. And SourceWatch and ProPublica did some work about this. Here's Donors Trust and Donors Capital Fund. And here's the Bradley Foundation. And they totaled giving $45 million to the 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 groups that filed amicus briefs pretending to be different groups and both of the lawyer groups in the case. Funded by Donors Trust, funded by Bradley Foundation and Janus. This is happening over and over and over again and it goes beyond just the briefs. It goes beyond just the amicus presentations. The Federalist Society, remember this group that is acting as the conduit and that Donald Trump has said is doing his judicial selection? They're getting money from the same foundations. From Donors Trust, $16.7 million. From the Bradley Foundation, $1.37 million. From the same group of foundations total, $33 million. So you can start to look at these and you can start to tie them together. The legal groups, all the same funders over and over again, bringing the cases and providing this orchestrated, orchestrated chorus of amici. Then the same group also funds the Federalist Society over here. The Washington Post wrote a big expose about this and that made Leonard Leo a little hot, a little bit like a burned agent. So he had to jump out and he went off to go and do anonymously funded voter suppression work. Guess who jumped in to take over the selection process in this case for Judge Barrett? Harry Severino made the hop. So once again, ties right in together. So Center for Media and Democracy has done a little bit more research. Here's a Bradley Foundation memo that they've published. The Bradley Foundation is reviewing a grant application asking for money for this orchestrated amicus process. And what do they say in the staff recommendation? It is important to orchestrate, their word, not mine, important to orchestrate high caliber amicus efforts uh, before the court. They also note that Bradley has done previous philanthropic investments in the actual underlying legal actions. So Bradley is funding what do they call philanthropically investing in the underlying legal action and then giving money to groups to show up in the orchestrated chorus of amici. That can't be good. And it goes on because they also found this email. This email comes from an individual at the Bradley Foundation and it asks our friend Leonard Leo, who used to run the selection process, is there a 501c3 nonprofit to which Bradley could direct any support of the two Supreme Court amicus projects other than Donors Trust? 
I don't know why they wanted to avoid the reliable identity scrubber donors trust, but for some reason they did. So Leonard Leo writes back on Federalist Society address. So don't tell me that it isn't Federalist Society business. On Federalist Society, uh, on his address, he writes back, yes, send it to the Judicial Education Project, which could take and allocate the money. And guess who works for the Judicial Education Project? Carrie Severino, who also helped select this nominee running the Trump Federalist Society selection process. So the connections abound. In the Washington Post article, they point out that the Judicial Crisis Network's office is on the same hallway in the same building as the Federalist Society. And that when they sent their reporter to talk to somebody at the Judicial Crisis Network, somebody from the Federalist Society came down to let them up. This more and more looks like it's not three schemes, but it's one scheme with the same funders selecting judges, funding campaigns for the judges, and then showing up in court in these orchestrated amicus flotillas to tell the judges what to do. On the Judicial Crisis Network, you've got the Leonard Leo connection, obviously. She hopped in to take over for him with the Federalist Society. You've got the campaigns that I've talked about, where they take $17 million contributions. That's a big check to write, $17 million, to campaign for Supreme Court nominees. No idea who that is or what they got for it. You've got briefs that she wrote. The Republican senators filed briefs in that NFIB case signed by Ms. Severino. The woman who helped choose this nominee has written briefs for Republican senators attacking the ACA. Don't say the ACA's not an issue here. And by the way, the Judicial Crisis Network funds the Republican Attorneys General. It funds RAGA, the Republican Attorney General's Association, and it funds individual Republican Attorneys General. And guess who the plaintiffs are in the Affordable Care Act case, Republican attorneys general. Trump joined them because he didn't want to defend, so he's in with the Republican attorneys general. But here's the Judicial Crisis Network campaigning for Supreme Court nominees, writing briefs for senators against the Affordable Care Act, supporting the Republicans who are bringing this case, and Senator Sheldon Whitehouse is testifying, uh, or is theoretically questioning Amy Barrett, but uh, actually giving us a lesson in how she's funded in the whole group. Here it is. I've never seen this around any court that I've ever been involved with, where there's this much dark money and this much influence being used. Here's how the Washington Post summed it up. This is a conservative activist behind the scenes campaign to remake the nation's courts and it's a $250 million dark money operation. $250 million is a lot of money to spend if you're not getting anything for it. So that raises the question, what are they getting for it? Well, I showed the slide earlier on the Affordable Care Act and on Obergefell and on Roe versus Wade. That's where they lost. But with another judge, that could change. That's where the contest is. That's where the Republican Party platform tells us to look at how they want judges to rule, to reverse Roe, to reverse the Obamacare cases, and to reverse Obergefell and take away gay marriage. That is their stated objective and plan. Why not take them at their word? But there's another piece of it, and that is not what's ahead of us, but what's behind us. What's behind us is now 80 cases, Mr. Chairman, 80 cases under Chief Justice Roberts that have these characteristics. One, they were decided five to four by a bare majority. Two, the five to four majority was partisan in the sense that not one Democrat, Democratic appointee joined the five. I refer to that group as the Roberts Five. It changes a little bit as with Justice Scalia's death, for instance, but there's been a steady Roberts Five that has delivered now 80 of these decisions 
And the last characteristic of them is that there is an identifiable Republican donor interest in those cases. And in every single case, that donor interest won. It was an 80 to zero, five to four partisan route, ransacking. And it's important to look at where those cases went because they're not about big public issues like getting rid of the Affordable Care Act, undoing Roe versus Wade, and undoing same-sex marriage. They're about power. And if you look at those 80 decisions, they fall into four categories over and over and over again. One, unlimited and dark money in politics. Citizens United is the famous one, but it's continued since with McCutcheon, and we've got one coming up now. Always five, four, unlimited money in politics, never protecting against dark money in politics, mm. despite the fact that they said it was going to be transparent. And who wins when you allow unlimited dark money in politics? A very small group. The ones who have unlimited money to spend and a motive to spend it in politics. They win, everybody else loses. And if you're looking at who might be behind this, let's talk about people with unlimited money to spend and a motive to do it. We'll see how that goes. Next, knock the civil jury down. Whittle it down to a nub. The civil jury was in the Constitution, in the Bill of Rights, in our darn Declaration of Independence. But it's annoying to big corporate powers because you can swagger your way as a big corporate power through Congress you can go and tell the president you put money into to elect what to do. He'll put your stooges at the EPA. It's all great until you get to the civil jury because they have an obligation, as you know, Judge Barrett, they have an obligation under the law to be fair to both parties irrespective of their size. You can't bribe them. You're not allowed to. It's a crime to tamper with a jury. It's standard practice to tamper with Congress. and they make decisions based on the law. If you're used to being the boss and swaggering your way around the political side, you don't wanna be answerable before a jury. And so one after another, these 85 to four decisions have knocked down, whittled away at the civil jury, a great American institution. Third, first was unlimited dark money. Second was demean and diminish the civil jury. Third is weaken regulatory agencies. A lot of this money, I'm convinced, is polluter money. The coke industries is a polluter. The fossil fuel industry is a polluter. Who else would be putting buckets of money into this and wanting to hide who they are behind donors' trust or other schemes? And what if, if you're a big polluter, what do you want? You want weak regulatory agencies. You want ones that you can box up and run over to Congress and get your friends to fix things for you in Congress. Over and over and over again, these decisions are targeted at regulatory agencies to weaken their independence and weaken their strength. And if you're a big polluter, a weak regulatory agency is your idea of a good day. And the last thing is in politics, in voting. Why on earth the court made the decision, a factual decision, not something appellate courts are ordinarily supposed to make, as I understand it, Judge Barrett. The factual decision that nobody needed to worry about minority voters in pre-clearance states being discriminated against or that legislators would try to knock back their ability to vote. These five made that finding in Shelby County against bipartisan legislation from both houses of Congress, hugely passed on no factual record. They just decided that that was a problem that was over. On no record, with no basis, because it got them to the result that we then saw. What followed? State after state after state passed voter suppression laws. One so badly targeting African Americans that the two courts said it was surgically, surgically tailored to get after minority voters. And gerrymandering, the other great control. Bulk gerrymandering, where you go into a state, like the Red Map Project did in Ohio and Pennsylvania, and you pack 
Democrats so tightly into a few districts that all the others become Republican majority districts. And in those states, you send a delegation to Congress that has a huge majority of Republican members, like 13 to five, as I recall, in a state where the five, the, the party of the five, actually won the popular vote. You've sent a delegation to Congress that is out of step with the popular vote of that state, and court after court figured out how to solve that, and the Supreme Court said, nope, five to four again, nope, we're not gonna take an interest in that question. In all these areas where it's about political power for big special interests, and people who wanna fund campaigns, and people who wanna get their way through politics without actually showing up, doing it behind donors' trust and other groups, doing it through these schemes, over and over and over again, you see the same thing. 80 decisions, Judge Barrett. 80 decisions, an 80 to zero sweep. I don't, I don't think you've tried cases, but some cases, the issue is bias and discrimination. And if you're making a bias case as a trial lawyer, Lindsey Graham is a hell of a good trial lawyer. If he wanted to make a bias case, Dick Durbin's a hell of a good trial lawyer. If they wanted to make a bias case and they could show an 80 to zero pattern, A, that's admissible, and B, I'd love to make that argument to the jury. I'd be really hard pressed to be the lawyer saying, no, 80 to zero, it's just a bunch of flukes. All 5-4, all partisan, all this way. So something is not right around the court. And dark money has a lot to do with it. Special interests have a lot to do with it. Spot on. Sheldon Whitehouse, Democrat of Rhode Island. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 